Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 123, week 123, volume 123, number fucking 123. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Zach of Left Behind, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week, and without a doubt, it comes from Misery Signals. The new track is called River King, and it's the second single from their forthcoming album called Ultraviolet, which gets its release August 7th. This is a fucking banger of a track. Amazing. This band, this album, let's all get behind it. Can't wait. Make sure you check this track out. It's called River King. The band is Misery Signals, and the album is Ultraviolet, comes out August 7th. While you're at it this week, if you haven't heard our chat with Jesse, the vocalist, make sure you go back. That was episode 121. Now it's time for Album of the Week, and it comes from Make Them Suffer. New album is called How to Survive a Funeral. And it's out now through Grey Scale Records. The Australian Five Piece have returned with another well-crafted mosh album. While it's not revolutionary, I don't mean that in a negative way and don't let it deter you. This album has barn burners from start to finish. An album that is itching to be heard in a live setting. It is well done, well crafted, fucking epic. Make sure you check that out this week. The album's called How to Survive a Funeral. The band is Make Them Suffer. Now, once you've checked out the album, if you haven't heard my chat with Sean, the vocalist, make sure you go back. That was episode 22. Now, time for feedback, questions, what's been going on. Not a lot to say, but as always, thank you to everyone that is listening. And to anyone and everyone that is listening, if you haven't already, take some time this week. Help us out with a share, a rating, and review. Enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and chat with Zach of Left Behind. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So if you're unsure on who Left Behind are, well, they formed around 2012. They currently have three albums and one EP to their name. The band are one of the hottest tipped outfits to break out next. I love what these guys do. And to get Zach on the show was a great thing for me and the show, so pumped that we were able to do it. That chat with Zach is coming up now. We start off with kind of, you know, growing up, was there an artist or a band uh, that wasn't heavy that kind of opened your world to music existing? Like, were you really into a pop band or a rock band growing up when you were young? Um, I feel like whenever I was young, all I listened to was just like whatever was on the radio or my mom was listening to. Um like uh my mom like always played uh this audio slave album um 
I really can't remember the name, but it has like that big metal, uh, like their logo, the fire on the front of it. Mm, yeah, I always yeah, listen yeah. to that with my mom and um, my dad. Uh, he had like some Megadeth tapes we would uh, listen to sometimes and like the Beastie Boys and stuff and like Cheap Trick. Like that was like stuff my parents liked a lot and like Green Day. Um, but yeah, I just kind of listened to whatever, whatever was on the radio that day. Uh, whenever I was a kid and then I eventually found stuff like uh, like My Chemical Romance and like maybe like Blink-182 and like some kind of pop punkish type stuff like that um, and like I listened to like a lot of rap whenever I was in uh, middle school and high school just from watching like skate videos I uh, like the Baker 3 video and like uh, the Zero New Blood um, like uh, Lakai Fully Flared uh, they always had really good soundtracks, and that was how I found like uh, like uh, Biggie and uh, like there's a uh, just uh, really good soundtracks on those. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd say it's kind of what it was like for me listening to music when I was younger. I mean, from a, from a young age, obviously you were into music, but were you? really passionate about music even at a young age or was it something that took time to develop and you know get there i mean as far as um getting passionate about it i was probably whenever i saw like the slipknot duality video i saw them like tearing apart the house and like just everything was going crazy and it was just like chaos and i remember thinking like man that's that's crazy like that's so insane i want to play in a metal band and do stuff like that and it wasn't something i like pursued constantly until i was in like high school and then i like um was in a local band then and started learning kind of how to do vocals and stuff and then that band broke up around uh like my senior year and then i did like another band um I left that band like a year or two later and then I ended up joining Left Behind around like 2012. So with, you know, you mentioning the duality video and you saw all this, you know, anyone that's remembers it, you know, knows what you're talking about. It's quite chaotic. It's really engrossing. Um, but with that style of vocals and the screaming vocals, some people are drawn to it and can get into it as a kid. So what made you kind of get into that aggressive side of music? Was this just something you couldn't describe that drew you in or was it literally the aggressiveness, the um, someone talking to you that you could kind of connect with? I just think it was because it was like something I hadn't heard before. Like everything was so crazy and loud and um, like the guitars were heavy and I hadn't heard anything like that. Like I hadn't heard like a breakdown or like, um, you know, I'd never heard someone play a guitar that way. So I think whenever I saw that, that was kind of like captivating for me. So it kind of made me want more and, um, I don't know, just found like more metal albums at like FYE and, um, going to like Target and or my mom's grocery shopping, like going to the CD section and just looking at albums and, uh, touring them online because I didn't have any money because I didn't have a job when I was a kid and uh i don't know uh 
finding like blog spots uh, whenever that was like a thing. I don't know if it still is. Uh, when I, I remember back in the day, you could find like search like a band, uh, like whatever band name, and then blogspot.zip. Mm-hmm. You'll end up finding a post somewhere. And uh, I don't know, all kinds of stuff like that. And people would say like for fans of blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, oh, I haven't heard of them. I'll check them out. So and kind of just kept going down the rabbit hole. So so obviously discovery was something that, you know, as you said, you were willing to pursue. You went out, found all of that music and you started hunting for it. But when in your youth did you decide you mentioned earlier it was probably like middle school, high school when you became obsessed with music, but when did you decide that you wanted to pursue it as kind of more than just a passion like when did you want to be a vocalist and why vocalist um let's say probably uh around like the 11th grade or my senior year of high school um i don't know i just thought it sounded like something that'd be fun to do and i was like i know that i'm too uncoordinated to play guitar i'm not gonna be any good at that um and i don't know so drums just didn't seem fun for me at the time Although I kind of wish that I did learn how to play because now it seems like a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, that was just what the what they needed at the time was a vocalist. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I was really bad. Yeah, it was just terrible. Um, for like the first few years, my parents hated it. Uh, they like they were like, this is just awful. And it really was. And uh, eventually, you know, it got better. And uh, now my dad doesn't completely hate it whenever I'll show him like our new albums and stuff. So it's cool. And he'll see like, uh, like we had a single off the last album played on Sirius XM and uh, my dad like saw it in his car and he was like, this is crazy. I was like, it is crazy. Like this is, this is really cool. So what about, you know, you said you sucked, but I mean, how were you trying to get a technique and how are you trying to learn to scream? Because, uh, as a lot of our listeners know, you know, it's not simply picking up a mic and, you know, singing normally. It takes a lot of technique, it takes a lot of skill, it takes a lot of learning. So where was your development with your sound? Um, Man, I would like just try and sound like whoever I thought sounded good. And whenever I was like younger and I'd like listen to bands and I think like uh, Legend was this band that I really mm. liked a lot. Uh, it was like the singer before the fallen dreams went on to do like his own thing. And, uh, I remember I was like, this is, this guy's awesome. And I tried to sound like that and I didn't. Um, but I'd like listen to like little things they did and like, kind of like the way that they would go from like one tone to another and like the shifts they would do and in, in between pitches and stuff. And, you know, over time I kind of started to kind of use my natural voice more with it. And uh, just kept like picking up on like little things that I liked a lot that I heard other singers do, um, even if it wasn't like a metal vocalist. Like there's uh, uh, there's this Michael Michael Romance song where their singer says like uh, "You're so far away," and I was like, "Oh, that's cool how he like shifts in pitch, uh, like the way he does." And I ended up using like that idea on a song at one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like technique goes, like I really just did it the wrong way for such a long time, like probably a couple of years of just like 
I didn't really do it all the time. So I didn't really notice I was doing it wrong because I thought, oh, it sounds good. Then, you know, I must must be fine until I started touring. And then I noticed I'd blow my voice every show or it'd be like I, I wouldn't even be able to do vocals at the next show. And I'd just like be embarrassed because it sounded so bad. So it was like a couple of years of just like working on technique and gradually getting to the point where I could like tour consistently. And still I'm like constantly pushing myself to try different things and picking up on things. And anytime I have like an idea for something new, like I'm always pushing myself in some way for that. Have you always been comfortable hearing your voice back in a live setting or on a recording? Have you always been happy hearing your voice? Because we've had people on the show that have said that when they first heard their voice or still when they hear their voice, they hate it. Um. So I, uh, I feel like I've always been like, it's not really bothered me hearing it until I would start to hear old stuff that I did. So like now, whenever I listen to death take me, I'm like, Oh God, like I kind of wish I could just like do it over. Cause I'm, there's like things that I'm like, man, like, you know, I wish I would have taken more time to get that better or do this better, but I'm really, it's just like nitpicky about stuff like that. Um, as far as like, whenever I hear my own voice on something, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of whatever. I don't mind it. Now, earlier you mentioned a couple of bands before you joined Left Behind. So with those early bands, um, I think you also said that was during high school. So what was it like in those bands for you? Was it literally just learning the ropes and kind of developing experience and skills? And then the other part of the question was, what was the local scene like for you growing up around you? Um, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was basically a lot of just like doing everything the wrong way as far as like technique goes. And, um, you know, we'd book our own shows and stuff like that would go fine. And then we were like, oh, we should try and play out of, play out of state. And I mean, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know what booking agents were or anything like that. So I think I would Google like venues and, states or like one or two away and be emailing them seeing if they could book us a show and they're like this just isn't how this works at all and i'm like okay sorry i don't know how any of this works um but i mean the scene in west virginia was it was really cool i mean it still is pretty cool um i mean just like for for being such a small area um you know we just always kind of work with whatever we had um like some of the first shows I went to were this place called the brick house. Um, and there was two of them. There was one that was like in an old, I think like a restaurant. And then it ended up getting moved to something that was like an old mechanics garage or something. And they would end up booking shows there that just like never made sense. Like I remember there was one time, I think asking Alexandria played there Mm. and it's like maybe can hold like 80 people safely and i mean it's probably like a couple hundred people were in there and they had like an rv parked on the side of this like two lane road in the middle of nowhere like the bathroom doesn't work there's like so many issues with the building and it's just crazy stuff like that like stuff where i'm like i can't believe they ended up they got away with like having that show but um yeah i mean shows are they're still really cool there i think i mean like the last uh last show we played there was it was actually the singer of fever ward passed away and he uh he died before 
like we we'd planned to uh, do like kind of like a holiday show and it was his idea to have it and then he ended up passing away so we were like what well, should we do i mean should we like cancel it and um the rest of the guys in his band were like no you guys should have it um you know it was his his thing and i, I feel like we should see it through for him and i mean it was it was one of like the crazier west virginia shows i've ever played so kids turn out which obviously is a, a massive positive but is yeah. is it kind of a thing um because everywhere is different but you know, apart from yourselves, but what's it like for a band opportunity-wise coming up? Is it really easy to kind of get momentum going as a young band in the scene? I think it's like kind of like a double-edged sword. Like you, on the one hand, you know, there's there's not a ton of bands in West Virginia. So there's not like a lot of competition. So I feel like whenever there's like a tour package that would come through and they would need like a metal band to open up the show. They're, they're going to hit us up a lot of the time. Um, so we get a lot of offers for stuff like that. But on the other hand, starting out touring was so bad. Cause I mean, like we didn't know anybody, like there was no bands that toured where we're from. So, I mean, we really just kind of had to almost like book shows that had no one there and hoping that the one person that did come out kind of gave us more info on where to go from there and kind of work our way through playing a couple years of shows to like 10 or 15 people until you know we finally had like a good um like list of contacts to where we could start booking better tours and then eventually finding out what booking agents are and then they end up taking care of it for us but um yeah, I mean, I think it's it's pretty hard to start out in West Virginia. But it's uh I'm glad, you know. I'm proud of ourselves for doing it, but yeah, it would have been nice to have some help for sure. Well, it definitely sounds like a lot of, you know, what you guys did was, you know, it's an understatement saying worked hard and DIY. I mean, that's that's got to be something that not a lot of bands from West West Virginia were able to keep maintaining. I mean, what what in yourselves made you want to persist with all the hard work and kind of difficulties that you came up with in the early years? I think it's just because we would, you know, we'd do these tours where we would have like, you know, two weeks we'd be out and then 12 of those shows might be five or 10 people, but then there would be like two shows where it'd be like 80 or a hundred people there. And we would just be so excited and like play like, like just an awesome show for us at the time and just have like such a great time we'd want more of that and we're like you know just uh let's just keep on going uh let's keep trying and just hopefully it ends up getting to the point where it's like that more often and you know eventually got to the point where it was like be like two would turn to four or three and kind of go up and up and up and until like we'd be out playing like consistent like you know, like the same kind of uh, crowds every night. But I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of times where we were like, man, like, uh, like there was one time we played a show in Louisiana where there was one person who came and I was, yeah, I was like, man, like, why do we do this? Like, why do we just like torture ourselves constantly? And, um, you know, I mean, a couple nights later we ended up playing like something where, we had like a really great time and this was back in like 2012. So I feel like there 
might have been like uh like a hundred people or something at that show. Um but I mean, you know, it's like lots of lots of high points, lots of low points uh for a while until it kind of just evens out and um makes it all worth it. And that's gotta be something also that would have taken some adjustment to is going on weekenders and going on you know mini tours or big tours because that's also something not everyone can do you're sacrificing life to pursue this dream was that easy for all of you collectively to do or was it something that you really struggled with and you still struggle with yeah i mean i still struggle with that i mean it's like we'll come home and everything's different see like there's you know new roads are being built and like there's new restaurants or popping up in town, new businesses and stuff. People like our friends are having kids. Um, it's just like, you know, whenever you leave for so long, it, it kind of becomes a blur. And then, you know, if you go on tour for three or four weeks and then you come back and you're back for three weeks, four weeks, and then you kind of just work the whole time. Cause you know that you're going to save up for the next tour. And then, um, you don't really go out a whole lot and then you go on the next one and then you come back and then it's like, Oh, you know, the past three months, I haven't even seen anybody. So it, it kind of, yeah, it all blurs together at a certain point. And then you're like, man, like what is going on? Like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's definitely a lot to adjust to. Yeah. It's not easy, man. And I think anyone listening, yeah, if you haven't experienced it, just imagine what it must be like. Um, let's just jump back a little bit to how you said you joined left behind around 2012 ish um how did that come about and you know what were what were the reasons for you to join and what were your expectations at the start well um i mean i just kind of expected to play like weekend shows and just just have fun with it but uh yeah it was the guys that i went to high school with so I went to school with Zach, our drummer at the time, and Cade, our bass player, and Brian, and our guitarist, is Zach's older brother. And then um, there was uh, another guitar player, Jordan, who was just like a friend that we had who uh, went to shows in the area. Um, and they had a singer before me, uh, but he was he had a kid and he just didn't have time to like do it a lot. So the opportunity came and I took it and. Ended up uh, working out pretty well. Yeah, and then you guys, you know, the first thing you guys did collectively was the EP, Death Take Me. And you go back and look at that now compared to everything else you guys released. And it's uh, everything you've done is different to each other, um, which I think is a compliment. But that's very different to what you're doing now. Um, Is there any stories behind that EP? And where were you guys going musically at the start? Was it... You know, literally, we're just going to see what happens, or were you aiming for something stylistically? Um, yeah, I kind of think we were just like blending together, like everything we were listening to at the time. And I mean, we wrote some of those songs like 2010, 2011, I think. And some of them uh, were like for local bands that we were in before that. And uh, I mean, there was even two of the songs, Haunted and uh out of line i didn't even write lyrics for those like those were um the two songs that the vocalist before me had written but i joined like um i think like 
we had like two weeks or something to finish the that EP. I'm not sure what it was. I just know there was like a crunch time and we just had to get it done. So they were like, just use his lyrics. Like, it's fine. And I was like, okay, whatever. So um, I ended up doing that. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, kind of just a mess, like how it all came about. But it was still like something I was really proud of at the time. And um, it was cool to like the first time, like go out of state and um, record something and like see like a studio for the first time. And uh, yeah, it was like, it was a lot of fun. And what was the general reception and reaction to the EP? I mean, it obviously would have helped um, being a young, early starting band to have something to get shows, but what was the reaction for you um, overall from listeners and fans? Did you feel like it was gaining some attention for you? Yeah, I um, I feel like I was always seeing it on like a blog spot or something. Like I think that was like still going on at the time, and um, we would see like you know people post about it on like Twitter or something that we didn't know, and that was like at the time that was huge. We were like, oh, someone in like Florida is listening to our album. This is crazy. Like you know, and like we would see. Uh, I think there was like um, uh something that would show you like who was liking your Facebook page and like where they were from. And you could see like your top cities and we were like, Oh, we have like um, 20 people who like us in Chicago. We should go play there. <laughs> like it was just like stuff like that. It was really cool. Uh, like at the time to just like see people like appreciating like what you spent your time on. And then there was a big, you know, a few years gap before seeing hell, but one of the big steps obviously was you guys went from being independent to getting signed by unbeaten records. Um, how did that initial link up come about? Did you shop that album around or did they find you? Um, well, they, they found us, but it was, uh, through like a friend of ours, uh, it was, uh, Brian Pella, the guitar player for no victory. Um, they were signed to Unbeaten at the time. And I just like, I had mentioned uh, that it was like a really cool label and maybe asked if he could show it to him. And then Buddy, uh, the guy who runs Unbeaten, um, he ended up getting a hold of me and, you know, we got it sorted out and uh, ended up uh, coming up with a deal for it. And, you know, it was really awesome being on Unbeaten. Uh, they were a really good label they were supportive of everything we were doing and um you know it was a nice team to be working with um yeah it was a lot of fun um but i do feel like sometimes uh, i remember the first call that buddy had made to me he uh he'd said like oh you guys are from west virginia right and i was like yeah he's like you ever seen that documentary the wild and wonderful whites of west virginia and if you haven't seen it it's like made by dick house like the people that make jackass and um did like all those movies and i was like yeah like actually my uncle knows him uh he knows jesco white and he's just this jesco white's just this crazy guy who lives in the hills of west virginia and like uh, they call him like the tap dancing outlaw if you look him up on youtube there's like tons of just insane videos of him and i sometimes still think that like buddy like just signed us because like because i knew who, i knew jesco white and he like <laughs> always like texts me every now and then like man like i gotta come down there and you know meet the whites and 
It's still something I think about all the time. <laughs> that that very weird, obscure link got you got you a deal. I mean, imagine that. Yeah, I think it might have. Yeah, my my uncle gave him a, a ride home one day, and uh, Jesco paid him with like ten pounds of sausage that he'd made, and because he didn't have money for gas, and that story I think got assigned to unbeaten. <laughs> that 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 release, seeing hell. Um, it felt like it really gained a lot of, um, and it's not a bad term, but I think it's a the right term, underground popularity. It seemed to really kind of gain some swell and momentum. Um, I started seeing the artwork post, posted on a lot of social medias. Um, a lot of webzines were posting about it. Did it feel like that release really started to kick things into gear for you guys? Yeah, I think that like from Death Take Me to Seeing Hell, that was like the biggest jump that like um, we'd had up until that point. Like it was like um, because from Death Take Me to Seeing Hell, I think there was like three years or so of us touring, but not having any new music coming out. Because I guess we just didn't really think much about it. I mean, there was like two songs that we put out in between those two that were just like on our band camp and we never ended up putting up on Spotify or anything. Um, but those were like the only things and people didn't really know how to find them. And we weren't good about like putting out stuff like that. Um, but it was like, it was a big deal for us to like have like physical copies of an album and like to see like magazines talking about it or like a, like online articles about something and, you know, seeing things that like, I don't know, like like metal injection or something like that. Like actually talking about it and like knowing like, oh, this is something to like like I had read the like their stuff before. This is crazy. So it was it was like a big milestone for us. It also felt like you guys were also gaining popularity um because you were a band that, you know, were doing something that was a bit different. You know, there were some bands here or there that were doing something the same, but it was what I mean by different was you're a band still today that you can't pigeonhole. You can't say that band is hardcore or that band is metalcore or that band is beatdown or thrash or sludge. You're one of those bands that's so broad. Um, and I think that's also what drew so much so much attention around seeing hell and still today. Yeah, I mean, I think that us uh, combining a lot of influences and like, just kind of drawing from everything that we listen to it definitely made it made us our own thing as far as like our sound and everything and i appreciate that a lot it's you know it's really cool to hear and you know you were mentioning about the before seeing how you know the kind of tours and weekenders and how it was you know kind of constantly pushing against the wind kind of moment you know really trying to get bigger shows you know playing to one person then playing to 50 you know this kind of thing what was it like after seeing hell were you starting to see better turnouts and more consistent turnouts um as far as let's like playing shows live yeah like it was it kind of just kept building up and it just kept getting better and it was always like you know, anytime I'd come back from a tour and be home for like a long time, like, like now, I think this is the longest I've been home. Um, you know, maybe since I've started touring just with like tours being canceled and everything. And now our summer tours are being rescheduled for 
fall and winter tours and stuff like that. But I think that being home for this long always makes me unsure of like what my band's capable of. So then we'll come back and, you know, we'll play a show and it'll end up being a lot better than I expect. And, you know, it kind of like reaffirms that place in my mind that I'm like, okay, you know, this is, this is what I should be doing. And I think, I think that's probably a good thing that you have that kind of expectation. It um, probably makes all the little steps of success even more gratifying. Yeah, I think it does. I think like kind of not setting the bar too high definitely does like make you like very grateful for what you have, like not expecting the world and um, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. It's going to be different whenever we come back from this for sure. Well, I think I think you'll come back more pissed off. Not to say you're not pissed off, but I think you'll come back more pissed off, which is understandable. Um, now, next step in the you know the band's evolution was "Blessed by the Burn" um, in 2017, and that one for me, I felt like people didn't get, and I don't mean that in a negative because I think it's fucking. I still listen to it today, but it felt like um, people really into seeing how Blessed by the Burn didn't seem to get as much attention. It seemed like everyone wasn't talking about it as much. Would, would, was that what you saw or is that just what I think I saw? Um, I think we kind of felt that way too at the beginning because we, you know, we, um, we saw like what the first week sales were for the first album and we saw, you know, that there was a lot more people coming to shows and, you know, we were selling a lot more merch. Anytime we would put something online, we'd sell it pretty fast and um, things were going great. So it was kind of like we wanted the the reaction to exponentially increase. So we thought that um, whenever we would put out Blessed by the Burn, then it would, you know, say maybe twice the amount of fans. We would have like twice the amount of sales on like the first week album. And it didn't hit that. I mean, I think it was, it was less than seeing hell did. And we were just like, what, you know, what did we do wrong? Like, you know, does the album suck? Like what's, what's the problem with it? But we didn't really understand it. Like there, there was like, that was whenever Spotify and Apple music were becoming a lot more popular was with that album uh, around the time it came out. So I feel like we did lose some sales on that one just because of that. Um, and cause we saw like the first week sales and then we saw like the streams that were like, the sales were like half of what the last album was, but the streams were like almost like three times what seeing hell was. So it, we were like, okay, it kind of, it made up for it in that way. But, um, yeah, I did. I definitely think that album was like a slow burn. Like it definitely, it got uh, more popular as it, like, as it was out longer instead of it uh you know like seeing how it kind of was like it kind of like um was like a burst from the jump it was also um i mean your shows maintained you kept kept doing a lot of good tours um and i also remember there was something to do with a food mart a gig um can you tell the listeners about that because i remember seeing the footage on your um i think it was your twitter or it might have been Facebook. But, yeah, tell listeners about that Food Mart show. 
Yeah. So, um, I know the it was a it was at a show that was like a fundraiser for like a local kennel, and um, we we got through almost all the show, but the last two bands didn't get to play. It was us and Heaven's Die, and uh, like the people that ran the venue, like were just like, this isn't okay. You know, there's like holes in the wall. Um, we're shutting it down now. And I was like, you know, that's understandable. Like, I'd be pissed off if people put holes in my wall, too. Um, but it still sucked. So we were trying to figure out what to do. And it was in, like, a little, um, like, a strip mall plaza. And there was a little corner store next to it where I'd been going in all day and buying, like, waters and because it was just so hot. And throughout the day, the guy that was working behind the counter told me that he, you know, he liked uh, like hearing the music throughout his shift because it was the wall behind the counter was uh, was the wall that was like next to the stage. So you could really hear it in there. Um, and uh, I went in like after we'd gotten the news that the show was shut down and um, he said something about liking the music. And I was like, well, how much do you like it? And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, how would you feel about having the last two bands play here? because they're not letting us play over there. And he was like, what, what are you trying to do? I was like, I mean, we could, you know, move some of these shelves around and we can carry in the PA and the drums and the guitars and everything. And we'll just play in the, in your convenience store uh, if you want to. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, my boss is probably going to be pissed if he finds out about this. And I was like, I mean, I'll give you like a hundred bucks if you let us do it. And he was like, all right, deal. So <laughs> he like we started moving out. They had like these little slot machines. Um and we moved the slot machines all into one corner and made like I think it was like five like five foot by five foot square where we could barely wedge everything in together and Austin Heavens die used all of the same gear and we probably fit like maybe like forty people or something into that store. And it was just crazy. I mean, like, that was one of the coolest things I think we've ever done. And it was just so, like, I don't know, like a complete, like, chance that all that happened. The footage is insane. Like, the fact that, you know, you look at the footage and you can see how cramped you guys are. It's like you can't really move and, you know, everyone is in there doing their best to, you know, it's also one of those things where everyone's trying to look past each other or look over people, and they're also everyone's being kind of respectful about things at the best they can. Oh, yeah. It's amazing footage. Um, now, let's get into last year's release, No One Goes to Heaven. Um, feels like it was a mission statement from you guys. Um, you know, to say that it felt like you guys came even more to the game um, is not an insult in any way to what you've done previously, but it, it kind of feels like with that release, um, not only musically, but sonically, lyrically, everything about it feels like you guys were ready to kind of take a big swing at it. Is that what was going on going into writing and recording? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, that was the first album where we'd uh, like taken time to go write the album before we were like recorded it. So we like 
went to a different studio uh, in Ohio for a week where we, I don't think we really left. Like we left maybe like just like to walk down the street to like a gas station to get food or we might've like drove off to get something to eat like one or two times. But for that whole week, we were just stuck in this space that didn't have windows. And, you know, we were like sleeping on the floor and we just like wrote like four or five demos for the album. And I mean, we, we definitely pushed ourselves with this one, like, um, you know, in every way, as far as like me writing lyrics or everyone, like just grinding constantly, like writing riffs at home and like recording them and sending them to each other. And, um, like just like doing like demo after demo and recording vocals ourselves and stuff and seeing how things sounded. And, I mean, we definitely had a lot of trial and error with it. Like we, uh, we put a lot of work into that album. It fucking shows, man. It's fucking, it's outstanding. Like it is without a doubt, one of my favorite from last year releases. And you can hear the time and effort, but you can also hear the blood, sweat, and tears that are going on in there. There is a lot of intensity, um, a lot of bleakness, a lot of sorrow, a lot of grief, a lot of hatred. Um, was that something that was easy um, or hard for you to do? And also, you do, you do that on every release, don't get me wrong, but this one really felt like you turned it up to 11. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's definitely weird, like, doing that. Like, uh, you know, I just kind of have to, like, lock myself in a room and not talk to anyone for a few hours and just kind of think about what was going on whenever I'm, uh, you know, writing about like a past experience or something and, you know, like the mood I was in and like getting back into that mindset. Like it's not any fun. Like it's just, you know, thinking about terrible things that happened and um, writing about that. So I don't know. I definitely like, it ruins my day that day for sure. Like, uh, you know, whenever I'm done, I'm like, I don't want to do anything now. I just want to, you know, have something to eat and go to sleep and start over tomorrow. But I mean, it ends up, you know, I'm glad to get it out. And then I'm also, you know, really proud of like what I wrote. So it ends up at the end of the day being worth it. It's, it that's the thing. Like it's fucking amazing, but is it in any way cathartic? I mean, or is it literally just constantly punishing on yourself? Um, yeah, I think there's like a sense of relief afterwards. You know, I uh, like in the way of like, it's nice to kind of express the way I felt about things. Um, but it's it's definitely, it's a little both. I mean, it's definitely punishing. You know, I mean, I'm, it's like makes you feel numb kind of. It's hard. Like it must be hard. Um Thank God for video games when you're feeling numb, because that would help. Yeah, I wish Animal Crossing was out then. That would have helped a lot. <laughs> at the time, we were there at the same time as Counterparts recording, so it was a lot of fun being there with them. So, like, a lot of the times, whenever we'd be stressed out, because we were both stressed out about writing albums, uh, and we would, like, hang out together and uh, play video games. Like, we were playing a lot of Skate 3 and Fortnite, uh, and at the Definitely, you know, there was like a bonding experience that helped a lot with that. And even though we haven't like toured together, we still spent like three weeks together in the same studio. So it was nice. 
Well, it feels that that also no one goes to heaven um, feels like it really has put your name on the map if it wasn't already there. Um, you look at the tours you did last year, the tours that you kind of had planned for this year that were already postponed um, or you'd started, um, it kind of, is that where the band is going? You feel like you are now starting to become more than just someone with underground reputation? You're starting to be someone who's just known? I, I kind of think so. I mean, I, I think that, like, things are definitely, like, picking up a lot for us. You know, like, it seems like every every couple of months, whenever we get, like, the next offer for a tour that we end up doing, we're like, damn, like, you know, I'm surprised they picked us for that. It's like, it's, you know, it's definitely rewarding. Like we, we see the, you know, we're getting recognized for something and things keep picking up and it's not like things are just kind of like stagnant for us or, you know, like hitting a plateau, like, um, things have, uh, been really good. And it's, I feel like it, it definitely like pushes, I don't know. I kind of feel like on the one hand, it's like, having all this time off is going to be pushing everyone back and like, you know, setting them back a page. But I also feel like this could be like a thing that whenever that first couple months of tours happening again, like it may end up all of them just being so crazy. So I feel like we're just all going to have to wait and see what that's like whenever bands start tour- start going back on tour. Do you feel, you know, with that sense of, momentum growing the name becoming bigger is there a sense of pressure or expectation internally for you guys or is it something that you relish the chance to step up to the plate i really just try not to think about it this stresses me out like thinking about like oh man i hope there's uh like that we're gonna do well on this or thinking like the biggest thing is um thinking about like how much our merch orders are and I think that's like a good way to see that, you know, things are getting better since like we see like the, you know, the amounts are getting higher and higher, but, um, and like we're, we're selling them, but, uh, you know, like looking at, uh, the last tour we did was that like Chelsea Grand, the Acacia Strain, Spite, uh, Traders and us. And, um, whenever we made an order for that tour, it was like $10,000 at the beginning and we've never had one that high and it was like the first like few days i was just like man like for sure we're gonna be in debt for a minute this is this is gonna really hurt us um just because i was just because i was worried i mean the shows were awesome but i was it was just hard to hard to not think like that but you know it ended up being that was the one of the best tours we've ever done i mean if not the best tour like that was uh you know every every show on that was just insane for us like we made a lot of new fans but i mean it was just it was great and like that was a really fun tour to be on like everyone was hanging out on that tour and um i don't know it was like it was a bummer whenever that one ended for sure that's something, you know, that you guys you mentioned some of those bands there that you toured with and some of the bands you've toured with in the past. Um, and surely there'll be 
a lot in the future, hopefully when things kick off again. Um, you're a band that can literally be put on pretty much any bill. Um, and that's pretty unique. You know, you can slot into a hardcore, a metalcore, a deathcore, you know, you can go into any direction. Um, is it something that you guys find that is easy to do? Um, or is it something that when you play to a crowd that's predominantly deathcore that it takes a bit to win the crowd over? Um, I don't know. It's just kind of what we've always done. We've always, you know, if we like the band that we were being offered a tour with, we would always say yeah. And um, I don't know, because at the beginning, we, I feel like it was, everything was like, you know, as far as what you got paid on the tour was always kind of like, you get like a hundred bucks a night. So we just, you know, picked who we liked. And as we were like, oh, the amount's not going to change anyway. So let's just have fun. And we, you know, we like some deathcore bands. We like some metalcore bands, some hardcore bands. And, um, you know, it's always been like a good mix of all of that. And, you know, I, I've always wished we could get more into like some like uh, stoner and like doom stuff too. Because uh, I know like the, like the other guys in the band like draw a lot of inspiration from stuff like that. We've played like a few shows with bands like that, but we've never gotten like any tours with those kind of bands. But that's like, that's something that would uh, be really cool to get into. But yeah, it's really, it's a lot of fun, like bouncing back between tours like that and seeing like how, just how different everything is. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes too. It keeps you on your toes. Oh yeah. Because I mean, you think about like what you're saying all the time and you know, some things work for some crowds and then some things really don't work for other crowds. So you're, I feel like you've constantly got to work around that. Now, you know, we've, we've mentioned a few times and you've said it, you know, the current, what's happened with tours getting cancelled left, right and centre. Um, bands are cancelling the release of their albums a lot now, I've seen, um, Hatebreed included. Um, do you wow. think... Yeah, did you not hear that news? No, no, I didn't hear that. That's crazy. Yeah, so Hatebreed's album, yeah, they've cancelled the release until further notice. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's insane. Do they have a tour at the time? Um, yeah, they're supposed to. I think they're doing Europe with Parkway Drive, and I know that they then come down to Australia with Parkway Drive. That's when you see that what's currently going on is having kind of a big effect because they're one of the ba- biggest bands in hardcore if not you know one of the big names in heavy music itself um for you as an artist um do you think what's happening now um will have a big or a minor effect on bands going forward whenever everything clears up um i think it's uh you know i think it's gonna have to be something big uh you know, I kind of hope sometimes that it's going to be like not that big of a deal and like things are just going to kind of be the same way that they are. But I'm, I'm hoping if it is a big effect, then it's, uh, it's going to be something positive. So hopefully that ends up, uh, being like a good thing for everybody. Like hopefully the tours everyone does are that much crazier because no one's had any shows to go to for, you know, four or five months, and I'm just uh, hoping that all that works out. Yeah, I I had um, Johnny from Prison on the show, 
and he was saying one of the worrying things he thinks is that um, if it goes on for too long, we'll start seeing um, some bands just saying, look, we're going to just put everything on hold um, and just worry about life. And that's the thing I'm worried about. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to not be that way because, I mean, you know, a lot of bands like uh, are leasing their vans and they have insurance to pay for every month. So without going on tour and having the income that's directly from the band and they're having to use that money from their job to pay off their, their van and their trailer and paying their insurance and other things they have going on and paying for merch orders for tours that aren't happening. And now they're having to use personal money and now the jobs that are funding that, like, like my job shut down last week and a lot of people are out of work too. So it's, it's definitely hard. It's fucking chaos, man. It's fucking chaos. Um, you know, we're talking about the industry. So one's about the industry and that is, you know, for you as a band who is predominantly, you know, self-managed, self-controlled, obviously in some elements you're not, is the industry for you um, working for you in a way that what I mean is as a band, is it easy for you to keep afloat or are we at a stage with the industry or how the industry was before everything happened where it's really hard for a band to stay afloat and you have to work so hard and for so long to stay afloat? Um, I mean, I feel like it was like a lot of us, like like we were constantly working, trying to get what we wanted and trying to get to like a good point of like stability. And I feel like um, before all this happened, like we'd finally gotten there and like gotten to where things were really good and um the tour is good you know help support us in our personal lives and everything but now with everything beyond the background it's uh you know definitely making me think like you know maybe i should uh go and uh pick up like a real trade and uh work like a decent job now instead of um you know just relying on this because now I mean I may have like enough time to you know go to some sort of trade school and get like certified to do something like that because before it was you know we'd only be home for like three or four months at the most so I didn't ever have enough time to get done with any like certification classes for anything so now it's like like maybe I should be using my time to do something like that instead it's difficult, man. It's got to be difficult. Um, now, the last question is one that, you know, anyone that follows you on social media knows that you love games. That's an understatement. Um, and you love things like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Where did you get your Where did you get your love for Pokemon? And is it like, has it been a slow burn and it just kind of happened? Um, or is it something that just out of nowhere you're like you know what i fucking i love gaming and pokemon i mean uh i've always played video games since i was a kid uh the first like console like me and my sisters had like we had like a an nes and then we ended up uh each getting game boys and then i got pokemon blue and i didn't even know what it was but I think like we got it because the cartridge was blue and it wasn't gray like all the other ones. And that was like the first game like that I'd ever played. And 
um, you know, the they came out with like the gold and silver and ruby and sapphire, and that was on like the Game Boy Advance. And I mean, it just kind of kept going from there. And uh, I feel like after like the fourth generation of Pokemon, I kind of stopped playing for a bit. And then they started doing Pokemon Go on the phone. And then I started playing again with that and got sucked into it and probably spent like like two years playing that game and like hitting the level cap for it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely love playing uh, playing video games and especially those games. Like, getting to go to like the Nintendo store in New York was really cool. Like, seeing like all the old consoles and seeing like all kinds of like crazy Pokemon plushes and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. You've got some Pokemon plushes, don't you? You got a few. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, me and my girlfriend have like a whole room of them. Fuck yeah. I mean, surely, surely, um, at some stage when everything calms down, you're going to make a trip over to Japan, yeah? I'd like to. I'd really love to go to Japan and Australia. Like, we've, we've wanted to for as long as we've been a band. And that's like the one thing. I'm like, we can't, we can't stop playing music until we at least go there. Um, now, we're going to wrap things up with um, a segment I do with everyone, and it's called Pick Your Poison. And it's kind of like uh, a would you rather, but not really. I give you two options. You pick your favorite of the two, and then we everyone kind of gets to know, you know, what are your real passions? And these are food-based, food movie-based, video game-based, and music-based. Now, I'm not guaranteeing it's going to be easy. Some people get broken by this. I don't think you will. I think you'll be okay, but we'll see. Now, All right, let's go. pizza or burger? Uh, burger. Okay. Ribs or brisket? Uh, brisket. Okay. Uh, chicken or beef? Uh, um, I think chicken, just because at least uh, you know, eating too much beef makes you feel a little slow. Uh, risotto or pasta? Uh, pasta. Okay. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Soft. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, crunchy. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Do you want to cook at home or dine out? at home okay uh new movies out do you want to go to the cinema or wait to watch it on your couch um i used to really just uh just like to watch it at home but now i live near an imax so i like to go to the cinema okay uh spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow snow okay uh cat or dog uh dog okay um, S- SNES or NES? Super Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, I think PlayStation. Okay. Uh, Game Boy or Switch? Switch. Okay. Uh, Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter? Mortal Kombat. Okay. Mario or Zelda? Zelda. 
Uh, Mega Man or Double Dragon? Mega Man. Okay. Uh, Terminator or Predator? Ooh, uh, well, Terminator kind of won anyway, so Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Simpsons. Freddy or Jason? Uh, Freddy. Okay. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. Uh, Slayer or Pantera? Hmm. Pantera. Okay. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Cannibal Corpse. Metallica or Megadeth? That is a hard one. Um... Metallica. Um, where's the next one? Corn or Limp Biscuit? Corn. Terra or Mareball? Terra. Okay. Um, suicide, suicide Silence or Whitechapel? Whitechapel. All right, last few. Um, you're playing a show. Stage dives or mic grabs? Stage dives. You go to a show, do you want to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk? Sound desk. I'm, I'm too old. Uh, tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Uh, tour. And the last one, I'm going to give you your favorite album. Do you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? i just put it on my phone. Yeah, easier, convenient. Yeah, yeah. I do like to just have it. Uh, Zach, we smashed that, man. Um, thank you for taking time for me. I know you've got a lot of time at the moment, but thank you for taking some of your free time and putting it aside for me. That means a lot as a fan, but also for the show. Um, really love what you guys do. Keep doing what you do. Um, and hopefully... I'll get the chance to see you guys live in Australia one day soon. Yeah, I I think you will. I really, uh, I think we'll be out there soon. Thanks for having me.
So that was my chat with Zach of Left Behind. And at the end there, you heard the band's track, Eternity of Empty. The second track was called Peeling Wax. Both of those songs feature on the band's most recent release, which is titled No One Goes to Heaven. And the last track you heard was called Rock Bottom, and it's from their album Seeing Hell. So now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation, if you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Take some time this week. Get online, stream, download, crank that discography. If you're into physical copies, get onto their website, get onto eBay, make sure you get yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merchandise, jump online, grab a t-shirt, grab a hoodie, grab some moss shorts. I've also got to take this moment again to thank Zach. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 123, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pit.